It's a five-star podcast. Because we do it. What's up, everybody? Welcome back. It is the season three finale of the What's Real Podcast, episode 144. I am your host, Ed Demko, along with my cohort, co-conspirator, co-contributor, co-host, and co-tag team championship partner in podcasting, the J himself, Jared Bajoris. What's going on, the Jared Bajoris? Let old some somethings be forgot. Hey, y'all. That's the uh, the New Year's song. I forgot the lyrics. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> i'm like uh start starting off with a bang this week. i'm like frank guys. drebin over here as enrico palazzo <laughs> singing the national anthem oh that was amazing but yeah your, your boy the jays is pumped obviously as i need to be hey ed can you believe it man another year coming to a close another what we consider official season of the what's what's real podcast season three Three years, hey, Ed, I can't believe you, I, and the wizard behind the boards have pulled this off, but I'm loving it, and we have all come to an agreement, those listening, there will definitely be another year, a season four of the Dubar question mark, pumped up, hey, Ed, let's let's do it, the season finale. That's right, the contracts have been signed, we are all in for another year here, uh, and we have some programming notes too, of course, uh, we'll get into that in a moment. Uh, we have a good show lined up for you guys this week. Of course, we're going to be talking some NFL, uh, Steelers versus Ravens, fantasy football, and power rankings. Uh, we're also going to be talking Tales from the Territories season finale, by the way, all about Mid-South Wrestling, and another season finale, uh, Fridays at Midnight. Uh, we're going to go back to 1997 with Harmony Corinne's Gummo. Of course, we're going to be talking some goofs and much more. Uh, so let's get into this, the J uh, programming notes. Uh, in the next two weeks, we are going to have two specials for you guys. So, of course, there's still some content floating your way through the holiday season. Uh, we are going to do our annual best of kind of a clip show that we put together for you guys. Uh, there'll be some intros and some stuff that we did for everything there. Uh, so, so there'll be some, you know, some new content in there as well. Uh, And, of course, we're going to have our year-end awards, as we always do here on the show, uh, our, what, third annual, the J. Yes, sir. uh, Third annual What's Real podcast year-end awards. So that'll be pretty cool uh, for the next two weeks. And then, of course, on January 6th, we will be back with our season four premiere, episode 145. Uh, Of course, we're going to be catching up on the NFL uh, you know, we'll have segments returning, all kinds of stuff for you guys for the season four premiere uh, on January 6th. So, uh, but as we do, let's just get into the show. If you guys uh, enjoy listening to the show, don't forget to subscribe on uh, whatever platform you're listening to. Helps the show, gets our numbers up there, helps get more eyes and ears on the program. So we would definitely appreciate that. But uh, we are recording this show this week on a Wednesday. And it is one day after there was a whole slew of news breaking in the wrestling world, specifically about Vince McMahon. Uh, And the timing was pretty interesting because that night uh, Vice was premiering the Nine Lives of Vince McMahon documentary. Uh, And the news is that there's another accuser of Vince McMahon uh, out there. And, of course, the attorney for former referee Rita Chatterton. Uh, is still apparently suing and seeking over $11 million in damages. 
Um, and we both watched that documentary last night on Vice. So the J, let me ask you, what'd you think of the news and stuff yesterday and uh, first impressions of uh, the nine lives of Vince McMahon? Yeah, the nine lives of Vince McMahon. Uh, funny title. He has like 50 lives. <laughs> this juncture from true. what we know. Hey, everything. Uh, well, the, the Vice, un, unfortunately, the Vice documentary that we were kind of looking forward to because Vice puts together, obviously, some good docuseries and things like that. And they've kind of taken... Uh, the reins with the pro wrestling and everything, of course, being kind of counter-programmed with the WWE's partnership with A&E. But we're expecting something pretty good here. And it was kind of just a rehash of a lot of dark side of the ring footage, uh, a lot of interviews we've already seen. And on top of that, not just visually was it a, a repeat, it's also all the stuff that, that you and I have already known 10 times over. You know, there was no no like breaking of, of anything no real good additional talking heads. Again, it was just rehashed information from past episodes where Vince McMahon information might have popped up in them and they just kind of compiled it here. So it was very unimpressed. I was very unimpressed by this documentary. Yeah, I, I kind of felt the same way. I just thought that uh, it ended up being kind of a waste of time. Um, I think I even told you earlier that I purposely kind of shut it off with like 20 minutes left or whatever. Because I was just like, eh, you didn't want to waste you know, the time. Just all the stuff. Yeah, you knew. I like I knew what it was going to be. So right. I'm like, because, you know, they were going chronologically and everything. So I'm like, I just don't care at this point. Um, it was pretty disappointing overall. I just thought that there might be some, you know, at the very least, like a new production, like some maybe different talking heads or right. what yeah. have you, not just a clip show of old Dark Side of the Ring stuff. Uh, and plus, too, on top of it, it wasn't so much about the nine lives of Vince McMahon, so to speak, or even the controversies like it at one point, it felt like a history of WrestleMania. And then they're you know what I mean? Yeah, like, exactly. And that, they, we've heard that, that a million times over, even just recently with some certain things. So, yeah, it just it felt like kind of a, a cheap and easy cut and paste kind of thing that they could do that wouldn't cost them a whole lot in production fees uh, just to kind of slap together the show and kind of put it out there, probably pop a rating for a night uh, and do it very cheaply. Yeah. And I, and I get it. I'm sure there were, there were guys in the business, you know, Vince McMahon is still very powerful, even with all the allegations and everything going on. Uh, of course that coincides, you know, if you want to talk a little bit down the road here, Hey Ed, in the opening about the Vince McMahon, the other Vince McMahon news uh, in reality, besides this documentary, uh, which, like you were mentioned, was coinciding with the, the release of the doc on vice but yeah, I just think that too many people might not be able to say too much right now and things like that. That's I mean, Vince McMahon, you you mentioned, hey, Ed, he's always kind of as high profile as he is, as egotistical and kind of a ham as he is. His personal life is pretty close to the, the chest. Yeah, absolutely. They, even, you know, touched upon that in the documentary a little bit where they said, like, some of the few details that we know about his child. All the way from the Playboy thing. That yeah, and that yeah. was 2001. So uh, that's pretty wild to think about, too. But, you know, and he says some, and dude, remember, we've always kind of talked about that, like, since it, it came out, because there, there's some really fucked up shit in that interview that people just seemingly for years glossed over, like it never happened. And we were always like, like you know, like anytime you would see like rhetorical questions or people mention things in like articles or just online statements, and we're like, uh, they talked about that in the Playboy interview. 
Yeah. Like, don't people realize that that happened or something? <laughs> right. But, that was one of the few things that's why like, they brought it up, why you're bringing it up. We've brought it up a few times in past podcast episodes because yeah. that's like the, that is like the, one of the only things coming straight from, from Vince McMahon himself. Yep. Like, he didn't know his dad until he was like 11. And I'm talking about Vince McMahon Sr. Right. And supposedly his mom, um, mom was the one that sexually abused him. Yeah. Or somebody in the family. Type thing. Yeah, they just like said a female, said it, I guess, right? You know, and then they even said like other neighborhood teenage boys. They mentioned that like in the the documentary last night too. Yeah. So like there, there's like that kind of shit, and then but it's all just like presented as like this is what happened to him. Like there's no pontificating on any of it, which I guess is a good thing. But I mean, at that point, like I don't know. It's just kind of like a weird. You know, like they're trying to give you an impression of what he was like as as a child or teenager. And then like this was even kind of uh, I mean, I guess I knew this, but just even watching it, they mentioned how Vince and Linda got married in 1966. And I was like, Jesus Christ, like I didn't realize it was that long ago. Yeah, like, they, they met when she was I think she said she was 13. He was 16. Yeah, originally, which is pretty yeah. crazy. So, I mean, there's. There, there was some stuff in this that was all right, but like you know, not no, like you said, like nothing mind-bogglingly interesting or amazing or a revelation in any way. There was just you know, like you were saying, like just a lot of recycled clips and stuff like that. So nothing was really. It just felt like for what they were, you know, because they were pushing this for a while in Vice, like Doran Tales from the Territories, uh, and it just really, I don't know, it wasn't worthwhile at all. Like it's. You know, like we've even mentioned here on the show before that like Tales from the Territories isn't nearly as good as Dark Side of the Ring, even though it is decent. Uh, this isn't even close to any of them, frankly. Uh, yeah, exactly. It, it was funny because when it would come back from each commercial break and at the beginning, it would say Vince McMahon declined to participate in the documentary you're about to watch. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. that's kind of the issue because, <laughs> you yeah, know, even if even if, if if they get Vince or some documentary one of these days, you know, before he gets too old, things like that, because he's obviously up there uh, can do is kind of combat him. And even if he's like full of shit, we might not even know it's full of shit. At least you have Vince and at least you have like his perspective and opinion. You know, uh, without him and without anybody really close to him, like you said, that's why you could see this was like the definition of a, a vice fluff piece, which we said why we like both Tales from the Territory and Dark Side of the Ring, because they're not really along those lines, you know, in, in my opinion. Yeah. So, you know, but it, it is what it is. I mean, I still got through it myself. Hey, Ed. And, you know, like you said, I mean, it just goes to, to really present day and they don't get into really anything too deep with that either it was it was just that that's i think the issue that it was not deep at all like you said they didn't pontificate on anything it's kind of just this glossy look at all this stuff we already know yeah i mean and, i mean there might have been some stuff in there that people didn't realize like i was you know they showed clips from you know geraldo with fucking uh rita chatterton and i'm like and i've already seen that you yeah, know, many the, times. the evil Knievel thing, which is interesting. Yeah, we knew that. I mean, again, it's we must say it's a perspective thing because for us, we we know so much about hit the history of professional wrestling and, and about Vince specifically. So we've heard all this before. So it would be a different perspective to hear what somebody thought that didn't know jack shit about Vince that might be interested. You know, that might be a little different, and they might actually really enjoy this. 
But from our perspective, it's just all stuff we know, even though some of it's cool, you know, like they did reiterate with the Snake River Canyon. Uh, it was like a kind of before pay-per-view event and Vince lost his ass on it and had to file for bankruptcy yep. and things like that. And of course, like we said, we've been over the WrestleMania one behind the scenes a bunch of times. So that was just complete rehash. But they went back to that, you know, with the partnership with Cindy Lauper and MTV and the rock and wrestling that led to the success of WrestleMania. But like David Meltzer says, if, if they don't have Hulk Hogan on that card, WrestleMania in a high percentage would have failed. Absolutely. And, you know, they talk about Hogan a lot. And- and Cindy Lopper and like that yeah. stuff was the most important shit about that card. That's why that like whenever you look at WrestleMania anyway, it's really a one match card. Like there's right. nothing else. A lot of the matches on it, there aren't even feuds. They're just matches. Yeah. You know, there's a jobber match that opens the show. Like it's not it's clearly they were just operating WrestleMania like a top heavy card from Madison Square Garden where there happen to be celebrities that, and probably different production value than they would typically have for a show like that. That was a cool part though. They showed a really early kind of vignette for Hulk Hogan and he, when he just called him the Hulk, but it was like, he, it was just his silhouette. Oh, that, and he's that was Memphis. Oh, okay. That was awesome. It's like, you know, the Hulk. Yep. Cause I, I hadn't it's, seen that before. That was a pretty cool part that stood out. I mean, Hogan was, yeah, I mean, it was very, very short term, but like Hogan was a pretty big star before he came in. Uh, he put, like popped off in the AWA, just did Rocky, you know, uh, and they, I mean, that's why, I don't know if you realize this or, you know, whatever, but like a lot of people might not. Hogan came into the company and less than a month later, he was champion. And that's because they were trying to capitalize on his AWA popularity. Uh, which was immense at the time. Yeah, they just wouldn't give him their belt. So it's, you know, and they, they had already done the switch from Backlund to Sheik and then just, you know, switch from Sheik to, to Hogan. And then Hogan wouldn't lose that belt for years at that point because they built the national. that That's like the the rocket fuel that the national expansion needed. When Hogan finally got on top, it was like, boom. That's when everything took off. Definitely. Yeah. And then th- that's another perspective that, that might be unique. Like I was saying earlier, hey, Ed, where it's from somebody that may, might not have caught the dark side of the rings that get filtered in there, uh, you know, because that's because that stuff's good. But we've already seen it. And I think that's our issue with this, with the rehash uh, commentary we keep bringing up. But they they do end up going into and, and using the dark side of the ring that dealt with John Stossel. Uh, you know, and Eddie Mansfield and that whole story going into David Schultz slapping them and all that. And, um, you know, they go into the Snooka scandal from a Dark Side of the Ring episode and they take all the clips from that. So, again, if you haven't seen these yet in this kind of package, it, it might be cool. But uh, for us, it was just all rehash stuff because, you know, it goes into Black Saturday and, you know, WCW coming after events and everything and all the stuff with that. So, yeah, it's just a lot of stuff, you know, the steroid trial stuff like that's always interesting. But, you know, we've been over it. I mean, yeah, we, I mean, we, that's another dark side episode. Yeah, steroid exactly. Trial. You know, Zaharian and stuff and Bill Dunn and all that's covered. So. So, yeah, again, I don't want to keep kind of going in circles on the, the opinion that it's kind of the same old stuff. But that, that's exactly what this entire thing was. You know, I was hoping maybe towards the end too, like maybe something pops up 
that might be kind of unique leading into the present and that just never came well dude it's i'll be honest with you too like there's a good chance that you know if this would have aired at a different day and different time and stuff that it would have been something that we would have chose to like review here on the show and after what like you know in the process of watching it last night i was like i'm glad that we're not because it just you know it's it doesn't really deserve that even though we're talking about it a bunch on here but it's it you know it is what it is like i'm glad we didn't have to spend like a whole actual segment to do it well then you got uh Russo's goofy ass throughout i forgot about that i always like to bust, well, bust your balls about Russo. <laughs> well and it's goof. the typical shit too it's like they get russo they get Cornette, they had bruce pritchard probably before he went back to wwe like it you know it was what it was like i was you know i don't really care i don't i do wonder if like remember we were talking about this originally if this was a documentary that they had planned about vince mcmahon and because of what happened, they had to kind of change it around. So, like, when you watch it, it doesn't really fit what you thought it was going to be. And that's because they they didn't make it for that reason. But now that's how they have to market it. Yeah. Because they can't be like, you know, Vince McMahon, Man of the Year documentary. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's like, fuck. All right, we have to change this now. But we're, we're not shooting anything else or doing anything else. Just add another 10 minutes at the end because we talk about all the other shit in it anyway. Right. Yeah. And that, that just all leads into, like we said, the, the weird irony that when this was premiering, the news was breaking about Vince trying to get control of WWE again. So we can start yeah. kind of talking about that, I, you know, cause it, the end of the documentary gets into uh, the whole, you know, four NDAs and everything else. And then we would get into a, a wall street journal um, went viral wall street journal article about vince you know trying to come back and everything and and that kind of made things a little bit interesting as far as like our wrestling talk as it goes as opposed to just the documentary stuff yeah i mean dude i think it's a mistake to let vince back in the fold at all because it's not just him at this point it's a corporate structure kind of thing i don't think i, mean? I don't think said. they can yeah, I mean, the, there's a board that's clearly going to have an opinion on it. Yeah. So, like, there's there's a way to block it from happening. Because I think automatically, if he comes back, that's going to hurt their stock price, uh, no matter what. Right. Because for um, those that don't know, he, he had said to people that he got bad advice from people that were really close to him about stepping down when he did. And that he should have weathered the storm and the bad press would have kind of dissipated. And he wants to try to get back. You know, he's basically blaming this bad advice. Which is, since when does he take advice from anybody? Like, you know, like, I don't, just go home, dude. Stay home. No one needs you. It's, I'm not saying it's like light years fucking better or anything like that. But it, like, the product's better without him. Um, Which reminds me, I don't know if you saw this, by the way. It's kind of a side note. But, like, I was reading something where, like, Triple H is apparently pretty underwhelmed with a lot of the people that he rehired. Yeah, I did read about that. So, like, I don't know. Obviously, they didn't say who he was talking about. But, like, anybody come to mind for you that, like, he brought back? That you're like, yeah, that was a complete I mean, I, I mean, Karrion Cross, man, I want him to, to flourish. I like his entrance. Like, you know, he has the look in Scarlet, but there's just something. It's one of those things where... It's missing something, especially as as far as pushing him as a main eventer. Yeah, I agree. Braun yeah, Strowman, like Braun, I, they don't I, they don't know the, what to do with that's him. My first. 
Yet nobody does because he's not that good, and it just doesn't, you know. It, it, he's not even a likable dude. <laughs> so, like, yeah. it's yeah. ruined. It's just cut your ties with him and let him go. Like, they've done that with other big men before. Just, like, let him go by the wayside. They don't need him. Like, you know, and I mean, I think a lot of other people, too. It's not that they've done a bad job. They've just been kind of underwhelming. So, it's like, whatever. Yeah, like, like Mia Yim. She hasn't done much. But you know, you know who, speaking of which... Just while we're here, on the opposite side of that is is flourishing is Austin Theory because he was getting pushed heavily That's by true. Vince. Triple H came in, kind of started having his character get pushed around and things, but then it kind of came back. I think Tri- yeah. Trips, uh, you know, likes his work. So, uh, unfortunately, another questionable guy outside of the the ring with some allegations, but hopefully. You know, he, he can shake that as being a young person uh, because I, I like his character and what he's doing right now in the WWE. Yeah, I mean, they, they're they a little all over the place with shit. Because, like, dude, they've even brought back Bray Wyatt. And like, what have they really done with him? You know, like, he does stuff. But well, they're having him it, feud with LA Knight. Now they're dragging it to the Rumble, supposedly. Yeah, and I saw it, too, this past week. I don't know how much it, you know, intermingles or what at this point, but it looks like they're... They're having the spooky shit come back with Alexa Bliss too, uh, which is unfortunate because it's fucking atrocious. Yeah, uh, but I don't know, man. Like it's the company. The, they're typically just, and I'm not just talking about Vince either, but like they're typically pretty tone deaf about shit. So like it wouldn't surprise me if Vince comes back. It, it'll just be another notch in the belt of like reasons why it's fucking almost impossible to like this company. Like. Those type of things. Um, but, you know, nothing surprises me with them. It's wrestling. It's even corporate wrestling still wrestling. So there's a high propensity for just wacky fucking stupid shit to happen. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's it's going to be interesting to see where both top North American pro wrestling companies go into the new year. Uh, with AEW and where they're at, because as we speak, uh, like you mentioned, just to give listeners a perspective on uh, when we're talking here on what's going on tonight on Dynamite with AEW's kind of like what we would call a quote unquote TV pay-per-view winner is coming. Uh, so oh, that, that is tonight. I didn't even realize. Yeah, I mean, I knew Dynamite was tonight, but I didn't know that was tonight. There's a lot that could go down there moving forward because this is a time period. That's why they do it, that there's not another AEW pay-per-view for, for a decent amount of time. And then, of course, okay. uh, you know the WWE going into the Royal Rumble, which starts WrestleMania yeah. season. I mean, we're getting to that time of year that we were talking about is a very interesting time because this is the biggest – you know, most important time of the year for WWE and Triple H is in charge for the first time. And then he's had a few months to kind of make WWE his own. So it's going to be very interesting to see how the Triple H era books and in, in the product that they come up with for the Royal Rumble and then the Road to Mania into, of course, the two nights of WrestleMania, which they pretty much already announced is definitely still going to be the setup. Well, they, it definitely is. Mm-hmm. I, I tried buying tickets. Yeah, it's two nights, you know, for the near future, if not for the hall. Yeah, and that sucks so bad. It's just not. It's not. It's like everything like, nowadays in entertainment. It's just oversaturated. It's just so much. It's fucking eight hours of wrestling. It's a work day. Yeah, and it's like, <laughs> and especially, dude. Like we talk about too. Like your free time is so fucking precious, and to spend eight hours of your weekend doing something, the same thing, like that. I mean, and, you're, and I'm not talking about like a vacation or something like that or a trip or anything, an activity or something like you're just sitting at home 
so it's like, you know, and that's kind of for us when the weather's starting to change and shit a little bit. So it's like, yo, I'm not sitting at fucking home. I've been home for months. Yeah. You know, because of the, the climate it's shit in the Northeast. But, you know, I, I don't like the two-day WrestleMania thing. I'm never going to like that. Uh, and plus, it gets even worse because if you do like wrestling and you like to watch wrestling shows, there's a ton of other shit that weekend. And you get NXT, whatever NXT pay-per-view type thing they're doing on Friday night and a Hall of Fame. So it's like there's just too much fucking shit going on. <laughs> Let of alone the all the indies. That's, that's what I'm saying. And it's just that's just one fucking company. So it's like, you know, hey, man, I'm sorry. But it's like, hey, where were you guys whenever I was a fan willing to watch all that? That's shit the problem. Yeah, we're to, and I'm just not anymore. We're where we're at as fans. Uh, so again, it's just our perspective. But yeah, it's just again, it just coincides. That's the world now, man. With technology, it coincides with film and TV shows. I mean, there's just so much stuff. Like these TV shows will come that I really want to watch, and they come and go, and then I forget about them. And I'll be in the shower Same. or something, and I'll be like, oh yeah, because because I wanted to watch uh, Andor, uh, the one Star Wars show, and uh, I wanted to watch the movie that it's you know it comes from like that it's tied with. Yeah. And I kept falling asleep to it. So like I never got to it. So I never got to the show. And then, you know, my point is you just remember like, Oh my, like I, I got three other shows to watch. And again, it, it just goes into, there's just too much shit. I mean, you and me, well, Ed, I'm a gamer. I have like seven games going on right now on PlayStation five. I'm like, I don't have time, you know? Well, dude, that's what, that's what kind of cracks me up. Like I, you know me, like I don't have any hate towards video games. I just don't really play them a lot anymore. And like when I tell people that, they're always like, what do you mean? Like, you need to play this and you need to play that. And you need to play this. And, and I'm like, you have enough time to play that shit? And they're like, no, I wish I had more. And I'm like, exactly. Like, <laughs> yeah. I don't need another thing that I don't get to enough. You know what I'm saying? Like, I have plenty of other things that I do that are like that. So, I, you know, it's cool. It's not that I have anything against it. It's just, you know, it's just a time waster that I don't have time for most of the time. Well, I, th know, I think I our point is it's just the oversaturation of of, of, of everything, everything right now. Yeah. Absolutely everything. It's as far as like, like, here's the thing, man. Like we, we remember a time where there was more shit to do outside of your house. Right. You know what I'm saying? And there still like, is like you could find it. It just takes a lot of effort and a lot of or, discipline. Or a, or a lot of money. Like, <laughs> right. Like, you know, yeah, if I had a billion dollars, I would never be bored because I'm going to be like, I'm going to fly to Antigua. But, you know, like I can't just do that now. So sometimes I'm limited to doing things at home, you know, but like typical shit, like, you know, going to the movie theater isn't the same anymore. Like whenever we were young, we'd go hang out at the mall, not doing that anymore. Like. And then what else do you do? Like you go to a bar, like all right, I'm just going to be drunk all the time. <laughs> you know what I <laughs> yeah. mean? Like it's, so it's, it's a weird thing. So like, there's more shit for you to do at home now than there's ever been before. But you know, it's because of that. Everything's just want, it feels like everything's just constantly going to be there. Yeah. I mean, you just, what do I always tell you? Hey, you know, the key word is prioritization. You know, you just got to prioritize, uh, as you mentioned, time is precious. What, what you personally, want to spend your time on. And and I, I try to do like, of course, all the obvious stuff, like focus on my, my wife and kids and, and the family and things like that and responsibilities. And then it's, you know, kind of what they call nowadays, those youngins uh, nowadays, Hey, you know, I'm in the early witching hour nowadays uh, what they would call self-care, 
you know, and uh, just focusing <laughs> on things like that as I die here on the show. <laughs> Thank God we're close to a commercial break because, yeah, the Jay struggling in the opening nope. segment on the season. We're, we're going long. We're going for another <laughs> Let's do it, man. That's what, you know the Jay's pop. Let's go. I yeah. got my second F- one. Fuck that. We're going to take a break right now, actually. So uh, hang tight, everybody. Whenever we come back, we're going to be talking all about the National Football League. So stay tuned. We'll be back right after this on the What's Real Podcast. What's real, everybody? It's your boy, The J from the What's Real Podcast. Here throwing out there the opportunity to advertise here on the Dubar question mark. That's right. You, yourself, whatever you're trying to sell on the interwebs or anywhere or anything, we're whores. We'll help you put it out there. Just contact us at whatsrealpod at gmail.com. That's whatsrealpod at gmail.com to advertise on the show of shows, the pod upon pods today and team up with Hate Yelp, the J and the wizard behind the boards for some sick 16K advertising. Just hit us up and we'll make a deal. So the J, it's that time once again. It's uh, the end of season three, so we got to get this special. Crazy, man. Season three is ending, and as is tradition, we're going to have the best of what's real season three special. That's right, our annual clip show uh, coming up next week right here. Instead of our regular episodes, we have our annual best of the season clip special. I think it's going to be a good one. Jay, what do you think? All kinds of ideas to throw at it, man. We did the month of Melvin. I'm sure we'll have a part of that. We've done tons of Thursday night prime. So we could throw that on there. We've done the movies that made us and had some really fun segments and good times. We've done tons and tons of course, trips to the waterfall of goose. So a lot to pick there for the best of hand. So join us next week for the best of season three special. And we're back and it is time to get into all things NFL. First up this week, fantasy football, the J. You got two teams, I got one. So start us off, brother. How'd you do? Here we go, the J. Here we go, the J. I did it, hey, I made it to the playoffs in both leagues, the Blue Dragons and the Purple-Headed Warriors. Can you believe it? No. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, yes, so we'll start with the Blue Dragons. I I lost 138.48 to 112.76. Tyreek Hill crushed again. That was about it. Uh, Even Joe Burrow only had uh, shy of 20 points, 18 points. 239 pass yards, two touchdowns and a pick. Uh, so yeah, I got ousted, but my record was still good enough at seven and seven and in fifth place to make the playoffs in this league. I will take it. Hey, Ed, because as they say, any given Sunday, let's see what happens. All right. So I was pretty much going into this week with the idea that I needed to win to get in. Um, I lost bad. I lost 134.02 to 86.08. And, dude, I had Jalen Hurts, who got me 34 points. So, yeah, the rest of my team got me, like, less than 50 points. Uh, And the dude I played had Jared Goff, who had, like, 37 points. Uh, But I still managed to make the playoffs. I'm in seventh place at eight and six. Nice. Uh, The only only bad thing is, though, is my first draw is uh, the number two team, who was basically number one all season. 
I can win this game. I almost beat them earlier this season, but it's going to be fucking close and it's going to be a rough ride. So, and no Debo Samuel. Uh, the only, my saving grace is, and I keep seeing shit about this dude, which is surprising, but like I have Alvin Kamara playing again this week, who was on a bye last week, which really hurt. Uh, he doesn't do very well, but like in every, like, you know, like you ever see those like stardom sit things that everybody does yeah. every week. Uh, dude, he's number one in the running back category in every one that I saw. So I'm like, and he's playing the fucking Falcons. So I'm like, okay, fine. Uh, but I need a big performance out of him if I'm going to win. Uh, and obviously, I have Jalen Hurts going against the Bears, which is definitely going to help. Uh, but, you know, I'm playing a dude that literally has Dak. He has Jalen Waddell, uh, Keenan Allen, Austin Eichler, like Denver's defense against Arizona and a backup quarterback. So it's it's going to be a rough fucking game. Yeah, so we'll see. Good luck, hey, Eel. Thank you. But, yeah, the Purple-Headed Warriors – Defy expectations, but lose to Mr. Cheese was the headline. Hey, and I lost 133.76 to 128.38, a pretty close one. But this league's cool because there's two teams worse than me, and eight of the ten teams make it. So even at five and nine, like I mentioned, both uh, my teams made the playoffs, so I still made the playoffs even with this week's loss. Uh, what really killed me was Miles Sanders uh, for, for my opponent blew up. Because uh, I had oh, yeah. I had Jalen Hurts too, but that washed us out. So he squeaked by with the other other scoring. But yeah, Miles Sanders crushing this week with 144 rush yards and two touchdowns. So uh, that put him over. But I'll take it. I, I lost both this week, but I'm a happy camper because I'm making it to the playoffs. And like I said earlier, any given Sunday, you never know what's going to happen. And, and it's cool that you're in it. Hey Ed, we're we're in. This is the first year, season three, and yeah, season three finale. All our teams here on the What's Real podcast are in the fantasy football playoffs. So we'll, we'll you, uh, recap it on the uh, season premiere. Yeah, you have to wait two weeks to find out if we're still in it or not uh, because that'll be the Super Bowl for us in fantasy the week we come back. So we'll obviously let you know yeah, about that. Yeah, it'll be that. fun. Uh, but now it is time to get into our uh, picks from last week. Actually, let's talk about the Steelers first. Fuck it. Uh, Steelers lost to the Ravens 16 to 14. We do good, bad, and ugly here on the show. So the J start us off this week. What do you have in the good section? As, as was your very energetic reaction. I had to talk about the Steelers anymore. Uh, we could just run through it. Cause yeah, this season's pretty much done. Uh, obviously it's, it's been done and everybody here wanted us to lose more for draft picks, which I understand, but, uh, that's a topic for another day. Cause I think we're, we're okay on draft picks, knock on wood. Uh, but yeah, the, the, way we do it on the show with the winners. Uh, I had George Pickens first and foremost. Uh, he was quiet last week and responded in a big way against the Ravens, opening things up with a 42-yard reception. Uh, so that was big. That set up Najee's one-yard score. Uh, right after that, he had a really good back shoulder grab for 25 yards. So uh, pretty good game from George Pickens. Yeah, that's pretty much all I'd have in the good this week. For, for, <laughs> exactly. For so uh, I guess we can go to the bad. Uh, start us off in the bad this week, the Jay. Mitch Trubisky, four incompletions, three interceptions. That was the stat line. So, you know, that just yeah. killed. He did, you know, I'm not completely shitting on him. He's in the bad because of that. That's that's why that was my first statement. Uh, other than that, he, you know, he did what he could do. He made it into the red zone, but that was the problem. We got into the Ravens territory four times and he had three picks and then we had a blocked field goal. Yeah, just all around shitty play. Like, it just was, you know, I agree. I'll put him in the bad, too. I won't put him in the ugly this week. 
Uh, but that's probably the only thing that I have in the bad this week, too. Yeah, I just got one bad and one ugly. Hey, Ed, the uh, the other bad was something that I've been on a lot since last year with the Steelers. Quite an obvious hole. But again, it was this week with the run defense. Uh, you know, the Ravens rushing attacks pretty good. Uh, so they were definitely, you know, J.K. Dobbins coming back. They were definitely going to show us up. But nonetheless, they they just made us look like shit. So you got to throw that in the bad. I was going to say that's my first ugly. So we could just go right into that, too. Uh, on a team uh, or against a team, by the way, that was up to their third string quarterback. Yeah, uh, so you knew they were going to that you knew they were going to run and you still couldn't stop it. Uh, this is the game, too, that definitely like stamps forward for me that like they need. And this is what really sucks. They need offensive linemen. OK, we know that we talked about it ad nauseum for literally like the last two years. Uh, but now it's getting to the point where they need defensive linemen bad and I mean they need like high grade ones because the way that the Steelers defense works you need specific body types and specific types of players to play D-line for you just because the way their defense is constructed Um, and you usually don't get those type of players unless you're picking them very very high in the draft so now they're in a position I think where they can't even take an offensive lineman in the first round. I think they need to go D-line 100%. It's very important. And then those second-round draft picks that you have are probably going to have to both go to offensive linemen and hope that there is something worthwhile there uh, because it's it's ugly on both ends. But, like, the defensive line is – it doesn't get talked about enough, but it's really bad, and they have Cam Hayward on it, who's really, really good. So like oh without him they're just that completely bad. done yeah they're losing fifty plus a week without Cam yeah they're getting smashed because they're just gonna run 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 nonstop and two it doesn't help that their defense also is in dire need of middle linebackers because we know Devin Bush is done uh, we've seen no indication this season that they should even try to keep him. And frankly, we were really excited about the Miles Jack signing, but like, I don't even think I, he's fallen off a cliff about halfway through the season too. Uh, he's not going to get it done either. So like, unless you're willing to keep guys like that around for depth, uh, I just assume that Devin Bush will not be brought back. And there's a very good chance that uh, Miles Jack will either get restructured or just straight up cut. We've mentioned many times the most expensive defense in the league and, and the, these are the results. Yeah, you got to blow up a lot of things, a lot of holes, unfortunately. Hey, Ed, but great breakdown. My, my last ugly was uh, an obvious one. The red zone offense was miserable. Uh, two for four doesn't tell the whole story. A field goal interception, the block field goal, uh, not to mention the other interception I, I had kind of brought up earlier was on the cusp of the red zone, like roughly the Ravens 23. Uh, just easy points that, that we really should have won this game. You know, again, yeah, you mentioned they absolutely. were going up against their third string quarterback uh, and, you know, end up losing by two point two point final. Uh, but we, we we mentioned it was going to be a tough point, uh, game to watch and it was it lived up to the hype. It was rough. Yeah, and I was at Permanis no. at a Christmas party. So I was in a jovial mood. Hey, uh, but this will bring you down. Yeah. And just to kind of piggyback off that uh, in my last ugly of the week. So you would think a receiver that has six receptions targeted eight times for 82 yards, that sounds like a pretty good game, right? Yeah. Uh, That's Deontay Johnson's stat line. Again, he did not get in the end zone. Uh, He did have a 37-yard catch that was pretty good. But again, this dude continually runs backwards. It's a fucking problem. 
I don't understand why somebody's not constantly screaming at this fucking dude to run forward. Like your move, like you do not have the athletic ability to juke people the way that you think you do. So just stop doing it completely. It's embarrassing at this point. Um, I don't like this dude. I don't want him on the team anymore. I don't think he does anything to benefit anybody. It's just a constant sore spot week after week. And again, this is a guy that they paid $80 million to. And that the Jay picked up in fantasy football and he's been killing me. He's fucking atrocious. <laughs> it, it's it's a shame. Definite ugly. But, but yeah, that's all for me this week for the Steelers. The Jay, what about you? Yeah, that's it. That was my last last comment and last ugly. And as we said, we can move on into deeper territory of the NFL. All right, let's get into our predictions from last week. Uh, of course, uh, we aren't going to have predictions on the show this week because we're just going to be doing specials the next two weeks. So uh, that's probably it. I would assume this is maybe no, I guess, because the week we come back. Oh, no, we'll have one more week of them. So, but it won't be this week. Yeah, that kind of works out because we'll get caught up from our holiday break and specials and at least have the regular season to kind of get caught up going into the playoffs with our coverage. Exactly. So, uh, but so we won't have predictions for next week on the show here, but let's go over and keep up where we are here in the season so far. First up, the Ravens versus the Steelers. As we mentioned, the Ravens won. We both were wrong on that one. Uh, the Raiders lost to the Rams 17-16. to 16. I know I picked that wrong. I think you might have too. Yep, both picked the Rams, two L's. Uh, next up, the Bills beat the Jets 20-12, to 12, and I think we both got that one right. Yep. Next one we both got right is the Bengals beat the Browns 23-10. to 10. Both got dubs. Another one we both picked right, the Cowboys beating the Texans, but I don't think we saw it being this close, 27-23. Oh, almost the upset of the week. And also the and I speaking of my upset of the week because I know I picked this one the Jay the Lions beating the Vikings thirty four to twenty three I even yeah you changed, changed it. it on the show yeah good call so, hey yeah, that's a great one I got the L you uh, got the dub I told you man the Lions yeah like, they might sneak in the playoffs it might don't be surprised if it one happens, of the top scoring offenses in the league and you can't really fuck with that so we'll see how it goes. Uh, next up, this is one that I know I got wrong. You might actually pick this one, the Jay. I don't remember, but the uh, the Jags beating the Titans, thirty six to twenty two. No, unfortunately, two L. Yeah, two L's. I picked the Titans. Another one that we both, I believe, picked right: the Eagles beating the Giants, forty eight to twenty two. Two deaths. Another one we both picked right: the Chiefs beating the Broncos, thirty four to twenty eight. Yep. Niners beating the Bucks, thirty five to seven. We both picked that one uh, that right, one. I believe. Yep. Uh, next one, I think we both picked wrong. The Seahawks lost to the Panthers, thirty to twenty-four. Definite upset. Uh, I don't remember if we split on this one or not. The Dolphins and Chargers, two L's. All right, we both went with the Dolphins. The Chargers won twenty-three to seventeen. And in the final game of the week, I think we both picked this one right. The Pats beat the Cardinals, twenty-seven to thirteen. Yes, sir. And of course, that means the Falcons, Bears, Packers, Colts, Saints, and Commanders were all in a bye week. So, the Jay, how do we do this week, and how are we on the season? All right, this week the Jay was seven and six. Hey, Ed, eight and five. So, two winning prediction records there. That leads us into our season totals with the Jay through fourteen weeks of NFL regular season play at one fourteen and eighty. Hey, Ed, at one twenty two and seventy two. All right, so pretty good. It. Yeah. So now it is that time once again to get into our weekly power rankings. 
What's real NFL power rankings? Uh, this is obviously going to finish off the NFL segment for us this week. And this is, of course, where me and the Jay break down the NFL from worst to first. So the Jay, uh, I guess it's time to get it out because it's probably not going to be a surprise this week. A little bit of a yeehaw action because we're both going to probably have the same team at 32. Am I right on that one? Got to do it, Hayhead. Yeehaw! Yeehaw! Because the Houston Texans, for both of us this week, come in at 32. So uh, how's it looking at 31, the Jay, for you? Got the uh, the other buckers bucking away, the Broncos. Same. Great minder. Keep going. Three and ten. Another three and ten team, the Bears for me. Another great minder. That's three in a row, the Jay. Let's see if we can keep it going. Who you got this week at 29? All right. I went with the four, eight, and one Indianapolis Colts at 29. Uh, first change here for me this week at 29, I have the New Orleans Saints. Okay. Yeah, I have them a bit higher. Not ridiculously, but that's a little discrepancy. Uh, 28, I have the Cardinals. 28 this week's where I have the Rams. And I'll piggyback you at 27. That's where I have the Colts. All right, right there. I have the Rams at 27. 26 this week's where I have the Arizona Cardinals. Yeah, that's where I put the Panthers. At 25 this week, I have the Las Vegas Raiders. All right, put the Browns. 24 this week is where I have the Panthers. That's where I have the Saints. 23 this week is the Jacksonville Jaguars. I have the Falcons at 23. I got them at 22. All right, the Raiders at 22. And just out of the top 20 for me this week is the Green Bay Packers. It's a great minder. 20 this week, you already mentioned them in the J. This is where I have the Cleveland Browns. Yes, our Pittsburgh Steelers makes the top 20 for the J at 20. And I got them at 19. That's where I put the Jags. 18 this week for me is the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Great minder. 17 this week for me is the Detroit Lions. All right, I'll piggyback you. The Giants, 17, Lions, 16. 16's where I have the New England Patriots. That's 15 for the J. 15, I have the Titans. That's 14. <laughs> 14, I got the Seahawks. All right, little discrepancy, but I'll piggyback you to get there. Commanders at 13 for the J, the Seahawks at 12. All right, I'm going to piggyback, too, because at 13, I have the Giants falling fast, and at 12, just staying steady is where I have the Commanders this week. I put the Jets outside of the top 10 at 11 if you want to throw out yours and jump into the top 10 hail. And I have the Chargers at 11 this week, and just in the top 10 this week, that's where I have the Jets. All right, that would have been a piggybacker. I just have them switched. I had the Jets at 11. My top 10, I have the Chargers at 10. Nine this week for me is the Miami Dolphins. All right, that's where I have the Ravens. Ravens, I have at eight. Dolphins, I have at eight. So we just flop those. At number seven this week for me is the Cincinnati Bengals. Great minder. Six this week, falling very fast, especially if they don't get a dub this week. This is where I have the Minnesota Vikings. I have the 49ers outside at six. I put the Vikings at five to start the top five. Hey, at five this week for me is the Dallas Cowboys. And at four this week for me, that's where I have the 49ers. I have the Cowboys at four. All right, top three, the J. Start us off with number three this week. Put the Bills at three. I have the Kansas City Chiefs at three, the Bills at two, and the Eagles this week again at number one. All right, yeah, I'm Chiefs two, Eagles one. All right, so just to let everybody know how we're going to do this, too, with the two weeks off, we're not going to update you guys, but we're basically going to keep doing our power rankings. So whenever we come back and we have a show for you guys, we're going to give you the most updated version of that. So it's going to be like essentially two weeks calculated in uh, before we give our next one. So we'll be able to do it that way. Uh, but uh, 
Of course, that means we are up against another commercial break because we don't have any uh, uh, predictions for next week. Uh, So what we're going to do is we're going to take a break. Whenever we come back, it is time for the season finale of Tales from the Territories, all about Mid-South wrestling. So stay tuned. We'll be back right after this on the What's Real podcast. Join us for a cast and crew screening of the National Wrestling League at the Oaks Theater in Oakmont, Pennsylvania, Tuesday, December 20th. It's all about the 1980s pro wrestling territory at the cast and crew screening once again, December 20th at the Oaks Theater in Oakmont, Pennsylvania. Go to churchillpictures.com for all the info today. And we're back, and it is time to venture off into the world of professional wrestling for the season finale of Tales from the Territories on Vice. This time, Mid-South Wrestling, Bullets, Blades, and Bar Fights. Uh, we have another uh, roundtable this week with uh, good old JR Jim Ross, Ted DiBiase, Michael P.S. Hayes, and Jake the Snake Roberts. Uh, of course, Mid-South Wrestling was run by former professional wrestler Bill Watts and encompassed an Oklahoma, Louisiana, Arkansas, and Mississippi territory. The main thing Mid-South was known for is blood and Watts' insistence that his wrestlers keep kayfabe 24-7. Jim Ross says, of course, the territory days were like the Wild West, which obviously, you know, we knew about. Guys didn't have contracts and things like that. You had to work to get paid. Uh, And then... Michael P.S. Hayes immediately gets involved and says that there was a method to all of this kind of stuff uh, because it was all to protect the business. They all compared wrestling business to the mafia. And they joked that Watts was a sweetheart and never bullied anyone, which, of course, was sarcasm. Uh, Watts was very loyal to the business, and everyone accepted his rules, uh, specifically because Bill Watts could probably kick most of their asses even as an older guy. Uh, He was a really big guy, too, uh, Bill Watts. And uh, legitimately tough, legitimate athlete. So, you know, he wasn't really to be fucked with. Um, They all agree that unless you were an idiot, you would learn the ins and outs of the business from Watts. Uh, His key was making the fans believe what was happening in the ring. Uh, DiBiase believed Watts was the first promoter to have an African-American as his top baby face in Junkyard Dog. Uh, JR says that Bob Geigel called Watts and told him he would kill the business with a black guy as his top star. They all agreed that JYD had charisma and the fans loved him. And DiBiase brings up that you either have charisma or you don't, and it can't be taught. Uh, of course, that's true. JYD is definitely the biggest star that Mid-South Wrestling ever made. Um, something as a side note that I always like to mention, if you guys are fans, obviously, I'm sure you might be if you're listening to the show. If you're fans of the National Football League and, or a Saints fan specifically, one of their team things that they do is they have a who day chant, like who day going to beat them saints. That was actually something that started from junkyard dog. It was who day, who day going to beat that dog. That's the way that it started originally. So it's just odd that something that's been accepted as an NFL thing now started with mid South wrestling because mid South wrestling was massive in the new Orleans area, especially with junkyard dog on top. Yeah, casual people wouldn't know that hate yet. It's a good calling that out. Absolutely. So uh, they first start out talking about the big payback. It's a tag match with the Freebirds versus uh, JYD and Buck Robley. Uh, the loser gets some magic cream put on their head and that will apparently cause the hair loss. 
the Freebirds win the match and go to put the cream on Buck's hair, but JYD makes the save, and the cream goes in JYD's eyes. Hayes says it looked like an accident and gave him an out, even if the fans didn't buy it. JYD's wife was due with their first child, and now he was blind and wouldn't be able to see the baby. JYD had his blinds closed in the house to sell it, and they shot a vignette where JYD is with his wife and new baby. JYD says, here's my baby, and my wife asked to move his hand to where the baby is. Fans at home are pretty pissed off. Uh, they do a return match, and the Freebirds get a police escort to the arena. Security found a guy in the bathroom with a gun, uh, and inside was a bullet that was engraved Freebird. Um, I don't know if that's a true <laughs> that's story or not. I was just going to ask you. I, yeah, it, it might have like it, there's something about it, like the free the, the engraved bullets bullshit, or this was a story about something else that he It's not specific. I don't think this, there was but, an engraved Freebird bullet. Uh, yeah, I don't think so either. Uh, they did a dog collar match inside the cage because JYD could feel for Hayes since he was so connected to him. Uh, and obviously, they do the thing where he had his vision back and he he was just faking at that point with the uh, eye patch. Um, they obviously get into the whole deal with Watts had uh, kayfabe rules talking about you have to be able to handle yourself outside the ring. Uh, case in point, if you would get beaten up in a bar fight with civilians, you were going to get fired. Um, <laughs> the barroom rule. Th- and that and leads gentlemen. us to our first story. <laughs> the great that story. Is appropriating to that. Yeah. Oh. Thumb down. <laughs> Jackson, Mississippi is where the story takes place uh, with Jake Roberts telling it. So Jake and Jim Duggan head into a bar that they often went to. Jim's cracking his jokes and having a good time. Some big dude comes in and starts posing. The guy pops Jim in the mouth and breaks his glasses, which cuts Jim's face. The dude's about 6'7", starts pounding on Jim, who's apparently drunk. Uh, Duggan starts firing off haymakers, and Jake is telling him where to swing. As he is so drunk, he can't see him. The guy's getting the better of him. Then like six or seven shots, Jim drops to a knee. Jake is looking for something to hit the guy with. Uh, Duggan puts his hand up and the guy bites his thumb that let Duggan get within reach of the guy and he drilled him with one shot that knocked him out Duggan felt he needed to get more shots in but the bouncers got there and threw him out Duggan's pounding on the door to get back in he feels he has owed more shots at the guy Uh, Jake can see cop cars coming they take off Jake made sure to grab some shots of Jack, and they put Duggan's damaged finger in it to heal and then they were off (laughs) yeah that's Jake telling that story too yeah, pretty hilarious uh, story nonetheless, because if you know anything about Jim Duggan, it's like he's a pretty lighthearted guy, but he's a tough son of a bitch. Yep, big old football player. So, yeah, it was hilarious. As soon as he bit his thumb, he's like, now nah, I got you. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's exactly the type of story. Like uh, he's a fucking character in Roadhouse. <laughs> yeah. Of course, this is probably the next one here is what I found the most interesting story in this whole thing. It's called Every Rose Has Its Thorn. They talk about Cowboys' enemies. JR brings up Jerry Brown, who was one of the original Hollywood blondes with uh, Buddy Roberts. Or Buddy Rogers, I'm sorry. Uh, Jerry felt he and Buddy should be making more money, so Watts fired him. Jerry didn't take it well and would sit in his car outside Watts' house for hours on end. Police would eventually be called and ask him to leave. Watts would eventually get a package with a clock in it, insinuating a bomb. Uh, they had a major problem as they all knew Jerry was unpredictable and they wouldn't put it past him to shoot the family. One night, Jerry fired shots at Bill's house and nearly hit Bill's daughter. 
As the legend goes, Brown ended up with a shotgun in his mouth, and JR believes it happened. He knew Watts was going to arm himself as they had called the police multiple times, and things just kept happening. Well, nobody got killed, so there must be a win in the territory days, said JR. Uh, pretty interesting story. I knew that there were some problems with Jerry Brown and stuff, but I didn't know the whole thing about the shotgun in the mouth stuff. Well, nobody got killed, so that must be a win in the territory days. That should be a tagline. Hey, it's a good line. Exactly. Good Surprised they didn't use it for something on here. Yeah, it's a good one. Uh, next up, fistful of lead. Jr. says in wrestling, a red hot personal issue draws more than a championship match. Ted DiBiase talks about him and JYD being great friends. Uh, DiBiase went to Ernie Ladd and pitched the idea of turning heel on JYD. Ladd felt it was genuine, as nobody would see it coming. Uh, they had a face-versus-face match, and uh, DiBiase takes a nasty bump to the floor, so JYD helps him up. Uh, Ted loads a black glove, hits JYD, and becomes the new champion. Uh, they were off and running, and from there, uh, DiBiase was a hated man. He talks about a uh, loser-leaves-town match. Everybody thought he would lose, but he actually won. Uh, and it, of course, led to JYD coming back under a mask next week. And DiBiase's trying to tell everybody that it is JYD. Uh, but everybody knew it was him under the mask. But it was DiBiase to prove it. And that was in the fun. And of course, they talk about that whole Stagger Lee thing, which was a major, major angle uh, in Mid-South Wrestling. One of the biggest ones they ever did. Uh, and kind of just showing you the, the booking strategies and the angles and stuff that, that Bill Watts was kind of privy to. I just I don't even remember when they bring up that DiBiase dated Mike McGurk, Leroy McGurk's daughter. It's it's in the next segment because they were talking about Leroy McGurk being blind. Okay, my bad. Jr. cutting his teeth under him as a as a. That's right. That's right. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, I knew that she was associated with the business. I always forget it was Leroy McGurk, but yeah, it's kind of funny uh, because most people might know her in the. The golden era WWF days of the 1980s, her being a female ring announcer. They had. She's on She's the uh, arcade game WrestleFest. That's true, too. I forgot all about <laughs> yeah, that, actually. Good call. Yeah. Uh, they talk about uh, Jay cracks up and says, JR uh, says, we have a rookie green kid doing play-by-play and a blind man doing color. Uh, Leroy lost his vision in 1951. Uh, he lost it in one eye as a kid, but still wrestled. He was a shooter. Uh, he had a hard rule. None of the boys could date his daughter, but DiBiase broke that. JR was his driver one night. Leroy pulled a Clint Eastwood-like gun and put it on the dashboard. Leroy's getting drunk and drunk and asked JR questions about DiBiase. He didn't let on that he knew Ted was dating his daughter. Leroy tells JR that he was going to kill DiBiase that night. So JR calls the office from a payphone to let him know, and Watts is pissed because JR's bothering him. JR doesn't want to be an accessory to murder. <laughs> yeah. Leroy wants to go to the hotel and wants to be put in a chair so that when someone calls DiBiase down, he will start firing. Watts told JR to get Leroy to Shreveport and he will take him off his hands. That was the last he heard of it. DiBiase notes that he didn't date his daughter much longer after that. So <laughs> yeah. there's the story that goes along with that. Of course, they talk a big old story about J- uh, Jake Roberts working with Muhammad Ali as he was a guest at Mid-South uh, during an angle. And uh, kind of saying that he kind of figured it out pretty quickly uh, with how to, you know, throw a fake punch and stuff. And Jr. actually tells a pretty good story about having, you know, to teach him that. And he said, like, and then for the whole day, he was basically throwing work punches at Jr. in the hotel room. Yeah, Tyson supposedly is good at that, too. You know, Jericho had said that. You know, I'm sure. Tyson yeah, I mean, they, but boxers are so good with their hands. They know how to yeah, throw exactly. a punch just because they know how to throw an actual punch. So they can just pull they know it at the last short. second. Yep. 
And of course, uh, they talk about uh, more, you know, 1980 being the golden year. Uh, Michael PSA said he was 20 and Terry was 18 when they arrived in Mid-South and Buddy would just put with them. Uh, they essentially talk about, you know, pulling ribs and doing some gross shit, which obviously we don't have to get into the whole story. And of course, they get into the death of the territories when Vince would eventually take the best people from them. Uh, as Watts would sell off eventually to Crockett Promotions um, after rebranding as the UWF. And of course, like most uh, acquisitions in wrestling, it was a failure. And they kind of talked about how, you know, the the legacy of, of the company at that point had kind of faltered as the territories were dying off. That's always going to be the last chapter in these shows if you haven't gotten that by now because none of them exist anymore. So, uh, but dude, we have said multiple times on here that, you know, a lot of the history and this stuff is stuff that we already knew and things like that. So it's not a whole lot to see here. Um, and even though that was the case with this one, this was probably my favorite episode of the entire season. Um, I like Mid-South Wrestling a lot. Uh, they had a really good, uh, you know, roundtable of people. I thought they nailed pretty much everything that they needed to. They talked plenty about JYD and Bill Watts, and, you know, gave some of the more of the personality of the people behind the promotion and stuff like that. Uh, and I just really enjoyed this one. I thought it was a really breezy watch. And for, you know, for the hour long show that it was, I was like, I thought it pretty much did the job. I'm with you. It was really good. Very entertaining. Definitely liked the, uh, the round table. Jim Ross, Ted DiBiase, Hayes, and Jake. You can't get much better than that, you know, especially talking Mid-South. So that just sets the tone for the whole thing. And there, there were some really cool, as, as they do, like where they do the flashbacks and kind of the, the silhouette reenactment that the, the Dark Side of the Ring crew is famous for. That, yep. that was cool in this one, like with the fight with uh, Hacksaw. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's like the dude, because they, they just, they, you know, that's why they do that effect. They, these dudes kind of look like them as the stories are being told, but that was a cool one uh, that stood out in this. But yeah, I really enjoyed this one. And, and as we mentioned, it, it might not have been, in, in our opinion, just for our taste, as good as Dark Side of the Ring has been. Uh, I still really enjoyed this, and I definitely would not mind if there's a season two, I would say. Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly there. So uh, I'm sure we'll have more news on that as it comes in here on the show in, in upcoming weeks and months. Uh, but we are up against another commercial break. And whenever we come back, it is the season finale, the season three finale of Fridays at Midnight. This week, we talk 1997's Gummo. So stay tuned for that. We'll be back right after this on the What's Real podcast. Step right up, Fridays at midnight here. We got all the finest women in the world. We got all the kind of craziest stuff you've ever seen. Hey, buddy, what about you? Why don't you come on into Fridays at midnight and see what the world beholds? Hey, what kind of wares do you have? What kind of place is this? This looks pretty unique. Tracy, want to check this out? You like hot women? You like crazy people? What about murder? We got that too. Cartoon characters, stupidity, just about everything you guys want to see. Come on in. Just a small fee, if you will. Sorry, Tracy. I love all these things. I'm leaving you. You stay here. Here it is, sir. All right. Head on in. All right. Fridays at midnight, everybody. What's Real Podcast. Join us next week for one of the craziest movie segments in podcasting. Fridays at midnight. And we're back, and it is time for the season three finale of 
Fridays at midnight here on the show. Uh, and today we go back to 1997 with director Harmony Corinne's Gummo. Solomon and Tumblr are two teenagers killing time in Xenia, Ohio, a small town that has never recovered from the tornado that ravaged the community in the 1970s. Um, now, of course, because it's a Harmony Corinne movie, that's just the baseline of what the hell's happening here. The movie really has nothing to do with that. It's just that that's the type of people that they're showing you. Um, the movie is almost in documentary format-ish, even though it's not a documentary. Um, it has this movie, by the way, might have the most interesting mix of non-actors and actors. And I don't know if you realize this, DJ. Like, I'm pretty sure you know Chloe Savigny. Of course, this, right? Yeah. Like, that's you know, that's pretty obvious. Yep. Um, but there's some weird ones here. Uh, do you know who Max Perlich is? I know he is in the the movie. So he's the dude. His he plays Cole in the movie. Uh, Drugstore Cowboy, Ferris Bueller's Day he, Off. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, he's he's in a ton of shit. He's in Gleaming, Gleaming the Cube. Cube. That's yeah, a, yeah. That's but, another one. Yeah, I remember him. Uh, but he is the dude in the movie that basically pimps out his sister that has Down syndrome. Yeah. Um, also, uh, Mark Gonzalez, who is one of the dudes wrestling a chair, uh, who is one of the greatest skateboarders of all time. Um and this this might be my favorite, but Solomon's mom is played by Linda Manns, dude. I don't know if you know who Linda Manns is. She's in a handful of movies, probably most famously known for Out of the Blue yeah. with uh, Dennis Hopper. She's also in the, great game. In the Wanderers. I don't know if you have you ever seen The Wanderers. Yeah. Please tell me you've seen The yep. Wanderers. But seen the Wanderers. She's in that. Like she's really a very acclaimed actress she's also in terrence malick's days of heaven too uh but she plays solomon's mom in this and she's super fucking weird but she's great in it uh and then the whole mixture of the you know jacob reynolds as solomon uh nick sutton as tumblr uh just an overall bizarre fucking movie jacob sewell is the bunny boy um it's a total non-linear kind of movie where they're just showing you, like, dude, I seen somebody compare it like this, and I think it's a really weird but accurate comparison. This is like if kids was made in like Middle America type thing, yeah, like in the Appalachian like communities and places like like that's kind of what this is. Yeah, no, that's a good comparison, and and obviously the correlation with the involvement of. Harmony Corinne with kids too, you know, so it would make sense. Yep. I mean, it's, you know, and that, and that's the thing, like, you know, one of the biggest factors for me with films is like you getting taken and sucked into a world. And that's one thing about this. It is like its own world. You know, it's almost one of those things. It's like, like you mentioned, it's almost shot as a documentary, but it's almost in a way like a fantasy, you know, it's, it's kind of yeah. like that kind of art to it. It, well, see, I would take it to another. To me, it's not a fantasy. It's like a fucking nightmare. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's true too. It's, and and I'm and I'm not. It's no, fucked. I'm not even, yeah. Like, but yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like it's a nightmare. Like this is so they're portraying a life that these people have, and it's like, dude, it's it's fucking atrocious. Everybody's either really poor, insane, or just fucking weird. Uh, Harmony Corinne, by the way, had his cameo with uh, him and the little person 
where he's just drunk talking on the couch. Yeah, like it's, like when uh, it's, fu- it's funny as shit. Yeah, like it's really funny. Wikipedia breaks down an intoxicated man flirting with a gay dwarf. Uh, as you mentioned, a man pimping his disabled sister to Solomon and Tumblr. The sisters encountering an elderly child molester. A pair of twin boys selling candy door to door. Conversation with the tennis player who is treating his ADHD. Like it just goes on and on. And of course, oh, like, one of my favorite parts: the skinhead brothers boxing each other, all realistically in the kitchen, like they're having yeah, like a well, decent boxing match. And while we're at it, let's add in the scene where our lead characters basically string up and whip dead cats. <laughs> yeah. um, they're not real, by like, the way. Like, don't shoot that so one. It's, it's, it's that one's a house cat. <laughs> Yeah, like, dude, there's there's a lot of fucked up shit at the core of this movie, but it's really like an interesting portrayal of human life type thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like in an in an environment that nobody really is familiar with. Um, but like, dude, of course, I got I always go to to Letterboxd whenever I see some good shit about a movie, and like, there's a few things that like like so this is just somebody named Patrick on here. This movie feels like a wet garbage bag, which I understand what they mean by that. Uh, this is another one. Amaya said, sometimes life is gummo and you're a cat. <laughs> that's so that's a good another one. one. Yeah. Uh, let's see. There's a few other ones. Another one. This is from Jeff Borislow. I mean, I get it, but I don't enjoy it, <laughs> which is understandable. Yeah, it's a tough and watch. Then, this is another one. Somebody, unfortunately, I can't pronounce their name. The film looks great, but I don't know. It smells bad. I don't know how a film can smell bad, but this film smells bad. <laughs> That's great. And then it was an Ivy Wolk says weirdo shit, but I love Chloe Savigny's boobs. Yeah. So that's good. And I, I agree. So I had to throw that in there, too. But like. <laughs> Yeah, it's this movie's weird as fuck. It's supposed to be weird as fuck, but like it's a goddamn massive achievement in weirdness, though. Like it's fucking really good in a lot, like in the most unexplainable type ways. Like it's well put together. The editing and it's really well done. Like they, of course, in Harmony Corinne shit, he always like does that. You know, there, there's like camcorder footage, like. Interspliced, yeah. There's just different weird themes where, like, you know, of, like, you know, the living poor. Like, there's always, like, weird shit, like bicycles in his movie. Really really good music, too, in this. Really good soundtrack for, like, the scenes. They fit. Very opening, by the way. Awesome. With when the kids are coming on the street on the bikes and they're pumping sleep. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen Sleep Live, and they're tremendous. It's the loudest shit I've ever seen, but they were great. But it's I always forget that they're in this movie for some reason, and it's probably like the best musical scene in the whole movie. Um, yeah, it's really cool. But, but yeah, like really fucked up themes, but like it has a an atmosphere to it for sure. Yeah, yeah, like that's, that's why I, like. I said like it it feels like a wet garbage bag is a good way to describe it because like the whole movie is kind of like oddly damp and rainy and just like gross yep. and shitty. Like there's not a lot of sunshine or like, well, lit. like it's just them in gloomy fucking weather, which the movie was shot in Nashville, but like it doubles very well for Ohio because it's just like we are, our weather is it's just yeah, gloomy the way it's and shitty most of the time. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, 
Dude, do you remember the first time you saw Gummo? Yeah, I think it was one of those ones that, that you were mentioning. Because I, I, I told you when we picked this for Fridays at Midnight, uh, or your choice, and you brought it up, that I had last seen it in college. Like, I specifically remember that, you know? And, and that's what I said. I'm like, man, I haven't watched that since. So I was trying to track it down. And I did find it on, on Vimeo and got to rewatch it, like, right before talking about it. So that worked out perfect. But yeah, I remember the first time, like when we're kind of first falling into films and you're, you're kind of into more things when you're younger and then obviously your tastes develop and all that. And so of course my college years, my taste for what I was getting into in film was as, as you are as a filmmaker, Hey Ed, where you're down, you're very open-minded, you're down to try anything. And at times even challenge yourself to go and watch something that's completely out of your wheelhouse. And that's, that's something like Gummo. Cause that's before I knew too much about Harmony Corinne, as we talked about always loved kids and, and first watched that in high school. But yeah, I, I just remember being blown away by Gummo and just really at the end of it thinking like, I, I think I like that, you know, like you said, because it's just such a nasty movie in a lot of ways. And especially back when I was, you know, in my early 20s, it, it was something that was pretty heavy. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely one of those movies that'll catch you off guard if you don't know what you're getting into. Um, I had an ex-girlfriend actually bring this one to my attention in my early 20s. Like she just had a copy on VHS and I was like, OK, and like I knew I like kids already. Like I was a big fan of kids. And she was too. So it was like, all right, watch this. And I was like, okay. And like, oh fuck, this movie's weird as shit. (laughs) But like, but dude, there was like, I I have like time periods of really cool, like film discovery. And that was like my early twenties was was a good one for like a lot of weird shit, like off the beaten path stuff. And like, that's still a time period too, where like you're going to the theater a lot. Like you're in your early 20s, so like you have a lot of friends or like dates or whatever. Like there's a million reasons to go to the movies, at least when we were 21, right. 20, you know? Definitely. So like, and then there was like, and you know, we've been lucky too. Like Pittsburgh's always had a bunch of like art house cinemas and shit like that. So like there was a possibility of catching Gummo like in the theaters and shit around here. I didn't, of course, but. Uh, but yeah, definitely got f- more familiar with it on video and, and of course, DVD. Uh, but always been one of my favorite, like, weirdo classics. Like, I absolutely love Gummo. I think it's a fucking brilliant movie uh, because dude, you've never seen anything like Gummo. Yeah. And you're never going completely to. unique. Uh, the the pre production's yeah. a pretty cool story. Hey, Ed, before we wrap, uh, I could break it down for you real quick. Get your take on some of this uh, from one of our internet sponsors, Wikipedia, of course, straight from the source. Uh, but in writing Gummo, Harmony Corinne abandoned traditional three-act plot structure and worked to avoid creating characters of a clear-cut moral dimension in favor of a collage-like assembly. Uh, Corinne focused on forming interesting moments and scenes that when put in succession would become its own unique narrative. So that was kind of like his blueprint for how he's going to try to put this together as a very unconventional film. And it goes on to say, to justify such a chaotic assembly, Corinne set his film in Xenia, Ohio, which had been hit by a tornado in 1974. So it kind of sets up what we've kind of been breaking down, which is that atmosphere you were saying, where it is kind of like a fantasy nightmare kind of thing, you know, around the rural, you know, kind of weird little rural city. Well, dude, you know what that reminds me of? Like, because I've heard this about Corinne kind of like say that stuff about his own work. But to me, that sounds like an Italian movie. Yeah. Because like that's how a lot of like Italian shit is. Like it's just non, it's nonlinear. It doesn't have the plot structure like everything else does. It's basically just like 
a collection of sh- weird shit that happens, but like you know why the people you're watching are where they are, and you kind of understand what happens at the end, or sometimes they don't really even explain that. They just leave it kind of like ambiguous. But usually that means that what you're seeing is so like heightens the senses that it's memorable and it doesn't matter. Yeah. And that's not easy to do because you either have to be like hyper violent, super sexual, or you have to make something like gummo, like which dude, you can set out yourself. You could be like, I'm ripping gummo off. And I, you know, I'd be like, good fucking luck. <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't know how you would even come close to trying to replicate anything even remotely encompassing what this movie is. It's impossible. Yeah, that's kind of where the pre-production story wraps up, as it says, to help Harmony with his vision. He sought out, and as we say on the show, French cinematographer Jean-Yves Esquivel in his work on Leo <laughs> Carax et Le Aumont de Pournat. Made a, tr- made a tremendous impression on him. And Escoffier, who liked the script, worked on Gummo for a fraction of his usual rate. So he helped uh, you know, with the budget there uh, just because he was so into the project, which is always cool to hear uh, to get like this classic French cinematographer involved in this as well. Yeah. For the look. I mean, dude, that, and that's one of the things too, because like we've talked about this off the air. You know me, like I'm a general fan of Harmony Corinne, uh, mainly because he's always like, one of those few people out there that are like off the beaten path of film. Like there's a handful of those guys. like Richard Stanley's kind of like that to me. Uh, the guy who made the Nicholas cage fucking Lovecraft, you know, yeah, color, color of space. Yes. Color of space. So like just people that are out there making good stuff, but like not really doing it within the studio system. Yeah, Constantine really doing, you know, like right, right in with that, that did, uh, you know, cage again with Mandy. Yeah. But just there's, yeah, there's, there's definitely a handful of people out there that are like that. You know what I mean? Like you could even say that like people like Mel Gibson and shit are like that now too. Like, cause they're on the outskirts. They're not working with studios when they produce shit or, you know, they might, they, they have an easier time getting distribution and stuff like that. But like, you know, it's there is a system out there to work you as you know the jay like you can make movies outside of the studio system it's not an easy thing to do but not, it's not easy to make a movie period it's very difficult he and, and that's what's crazy too uh just talking about factoids corinne shot gummo in just four weeks during the summer of 1996 most of the film being shot on the final week of production uh due to the crew waiting for rain so pretty crazy man uh, cult classic just such an interesting film shot in just four weeks and, and of course a funny little tidbit the last scene shot is the one that we were talking about earlier uh, with corinne starring as a heavily intoxicated boy on a court couch with a dwarf yeah Figures. it's there's just dude there's so much weird shit in this movie that it's hard to like if somebody's like gummo what's that about you'd be like um uh um, <laughs> yeah, because of course Werner Herzog and Gus Van Sant love it. So, yeah, I'm sure. I mean, that's that's exactly the type, the type of, of guy, that people that would, right? Yeah, hundred percent. So, but uh, but yeah, that's uh, the season three finale of Fridays at Midnight with Gummo. Of course, that will be this, this will be back in season four, just as Thursday Night Prime will be. 
just like the movies that made us will be. So don't worry, guys. We, we have plenty more uh, to come from all of those, and they will all be back in season four, I can assure you. So we are up against our uh, very last commercial break. And whenever we come back, we're going to be wrapping up the show and talking some goofs. So stay put. We'll be back right after this on the What's Real podcast. The blue-eyed line himself in the blood flow and flesh spewing on the mic as I can only spew for this ad for Churchill Pictures and in turn its website, churchillpictures.com. We are Churchill Pictures, established from the bond of two childhood friends. We envision creating visual content that is completely original, thought-provoking, and most importantly, entertaining. The most recent of our two feature films, The Unsung, is now available to own as we are in a partnership with distributor Bayview Entertainment, and they are helping us put this great art out to the world so help support, share the word, spread the word, and thanks as always for any and all support. Go to Vimeo.com to rent or buy streaming on Vimeo. Go to the awesome platform Amazon Prime, rent or buy on Amazon at Amazon Prime, AmazonPrime.com, or purchase the DVD for you collectors out there. You can buy the DVD from Walmart through Walmart.com or buy the DVD from DeepDiscountDVD.com. That's DeepDiscountDVD.com for the unsung hope lives in the shadows check out churchillpictures.com to check out the trailer and all information today churchill pictures we create worlds hey everybody this is herman james for the what's real podcast and i'm here to just let you know to welcome you to goofs are goofs and we're back and it's that time once again so the j what do we got this week it's the it's the last one for a few weeks anyway uh, what do we got this week, should I say, on the goof front? <sighs> Taking it in for the last time. Hey, Ed, this crisp air this time of year, the lagoons frozen over as we were describing last week. All the pine trees around are all ornamented up. The chipmunks are wearing little Christmas hats. It's a beautiful setting here at the What's Real podcast. And of course, at the famed waterfall of goofs. And even though it's frozen over here in the winter months, hey, Ed, it's still there. It still flows. And we have tons of goofs. For the season finale, I cannot believe it. Still, I'll be saying it all episode. Head, congratulations to UI and Cam because that's awesome to have three seasons and three years of the Dubar question mark and three years of Goofs or Goofs. As we start off with Below Deck, have you ever seen that show? I've caught bits and pieces of it with like the Goofs that do the like luxury cruises. I've seen something. It's like yeah, the cruise, but um, yep. you know, it's this chick. She's the new third stewardess. So her name's Haley De Sola Pinto. Okay. And it says that um, Haley De Sola Pinto below Dexter admits that she masturbates over her own pics as she has banging tits. So Haley Stola Pinto uh, fucking flicks her bean to herself is what you're telling me. Haley De Sola Pinto has left viewers in stitches after admitting she had masturbated over photos of herself during the latest episode. Is she hot? Hot as shit. Okay, well then, yeah. I mean, I guess that makes sense, right? Yeah, I guess one of the idiots, you know, the stewards, I guess they're called. like they, They're like in naval outfits, but not, not in the Navy, those goofs. Okay, He's like, do you th- those fucks. He's like, do you think it's mental how absolutely breathtaking you are and extremely funny? And the ever modest Haley replied, people quite regularly tell me that. 
but she's known as the flame haired beauty. Uh, you know, she's a, a ginger hate eel. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I'd probably be a fan. I don't know what she looks like. <laughs> I'll send a picture. And the, and the picture description says, Haley De Solo Pinto admitted she masturbates over her own photos. <laughs> Getty, Getty, <laughs> Getty images. <laughs> Getty images. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Next up is another animal segment. Um, just sending you this one because you know you have to see it here live on the air as we do. Uh, direct messaging it to you, hey, you know, uh, that says a male dromedary camel has an inflatable sack that extrudes from their mouth when in rut to assert dominance no. and attract females. See, this is why I hate you. You're you're a dick. Did you see you it? Know that? No. You don't. You don't send me the pictures of the fucking hot shit, <laughs> but you send me this. <laughs> Fuck you, I'm not watching it. I hate you, you fucking dick. How about this Thanks one? for sending me the one thing I don't want to see. How about this some, one? This... With some weird fucking sack extruding from its mouth. So I sent you this oh, okay. one. Now, now, okay, yeah, this is more up my Yeah, own. so I, I, this, I, I, I this viral video of the week here on Goose or Goose uh, is a woman that caught a fleeing lion with her bare hands and attempted to carry it home. And there's video. Well, yeah. It, so this woman's like, okay, they they don't they're not clear about it, but it's like, are you trying to take it to your home or its home? Yeah, because either way, you're insane <laughs> yeah. because it's gonna fuck you up at your house, and you definitely don't want to be like, let me take it to the place where there's seven more of these. Like, that's the last thing you want to do. Yeah, like I'm so going like, straight this- into the lion's den. Like, literally like rest in peace that's Mariska. literally what this yeah this this fucking woman doesn't care or is just a complete fucking barbarian of a human being <laughs> well she she makes it i'll give her credit she makes it what about 30 yards ish before the yeah, I mean, before I the imagine, thing flops out of her hands like i know we're both probably bigger human beings than her but i still don't imagine that it would be easy fucking carrying a small lion that's freaking the fuck out the entire time uh, would be fun or simple to accomplish. No, it's idiotic. It's foolish. She's a fool. That's, yeah, I don't know where this is, but it doesn't look like a place I want to be. My next question to you, I just sent you the pick. Is this kid really I, only 12 years old? Seen it? No. <laughs> Fuck no. Motherfuck no. Like, I don't... Like, I don't. Uh. <laughs> so for those that are, don't know, a viral video has been going around today of this supposed 12 year old and this picture of him in a picture. He's holding the 12 and under Division One Youth National Championship MVP trophy. Uh, he plays for the Dragons. No, not my fantasy team, the Blue Dragons. Uh, who knows where the hell this is? But uh, he, he looks like he's maybe 47. Yeah, I mean, he has a tattoo on his arm. I mean, I know that that don't mean shit, but like, yeah, yeah he has a full full mustache. Yeah, I'm going to go with no. <laughs> yeah. No. I'm trying to think no. who he looks like. I don't know, but no. Yeah, kind of looks like Jamie Foxx a little bit. I see a little push of T in there, but with the, yeah, the mustache. Yeah, that's a good call. But but that the mustache fucks. I don't know. This is this is creepy. I don't want to even talk about it anymore. Frankly. So how uh, how old do you think he is? Thirty. Yeah, I'd say at least. 
I'm sending this one to you. Hey, Ed, cause I'm going to get your take. It's the, uh, who deserves a spot on the all accidental porn name team. Now accepting nominations. I'll start. <laughs> and there's a picture of pitcher Dick pole P O L E for the beavers. Yeah. <laughs> old Dick pole. Dick pole. They both down. And then like one of the first ones on here is a picture of three dudes on the bench for LSU. And it says team effort and it's small white cocks all next to yeah. each other. Naturally. Uh, Ru- That's Ru- where the small white cocks are. Rusty cunts outfielder for the twins. <laughs> <laughs> Good old fuck you do me. <laughs> He's a uh, outfielder. Oh, old rusty cunts. <laughs> Uh, Aubrey Beavers for the Dolphins. Uh, let's see this one. Motorboat Jones for the Reds, outfielder. Yeah, my one of my favorite outfielders of all times, old Motorboat Jones. Captain Jack Glasscock. Um, Johnny Dickshot for the Pirates. Old Johnny Dickshot. <laughs> uh, Mike Sweeney, that's not a good one. Uh, we'll just do one more here. No, get it. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah that's terrible. I am in the witching hour. Now, you, no, now you have to explain it because you didn't get it. Before, so, what's the jokes? Explain it out loud. Okay. Well, first, I'm going to bring up Ron Tugnut for the Quebec Nordiques. Uh, the Quebec Nordiques. <laughs> uh, but yeah, like the example says, do you like playing with Mike Sweeney? So yeah, I I do get it, and I love it. <laughs> Fair hooker. And the la- last but not least, because this is a uh, Pittsburgh Steeler. He was a center in the 50s for the Steelers. Buzz Nutter. <laughs> Buzz Nutter. I could keep oh. going, man. Grady Sizemore, Chubby Cox, Dick Butkus. We'll end with, you know, we, and we know Dick Trickle, of course, was always a legend. <laughs> Dick Trickle. Dick Felt for the Boston Patriots. They both down. Uh, too much. Oh, no, that, was Dick, that was Dick Volt. Dick Volt, yes. Uh, last, Dick Volt, they both down. The last story we have, we have on Goose or Goose, closing out season three of the What's Real podcast. We cannot believe it oh. here. It's unbelievable. But a Las Vegas woman allegedly snatched a Rolex. And I mean that literally, hey, Ed, as she hid it inside her genitals. Oh, man. Yeah, did you hear this one? Um, no. They should just let her keep it. A Las Vegas woman found herself in a sticky situation. See what TMZ did there with cops after she allegedly stole a super no. expensive watch and hit it in her genitals. <laughs> uh, police were called to the hotel in Vegas after a man claimed he was cuddling 33 year old Sarah Richards. And she continually insisted he take his Rolex off while they laid together. The victim told cops he put the watch under his pillow and continued to drink wine, but says when he noticed it missing, she went into a panic and left. He followed her to the hobby and eventually located it in her vagina. The hobby or the lobby? The hobby lobby. The hobby. See, so he followed her to a hobby lobby and found a ro- his Rolex in her vagina. Yeah, it was slimy but unharmed. Was the uh, the cops the cops quote? <laughs> Did the that. <laughs> no, please tell me you just made that up. Yes, <laughs> please. Oh, thank. You. That's tremendous. It just it just ends it that uh, a case where she's facing residential theft and burglary charges for taking someone's watch uh, back in June as well. So 
apparently in that case, they did, were told that the uh, woman drugged them. So this chick, you know. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. that escalated like a motherfucker. Yeah. Like oh, it went from uh, being weird to like just nefarious. The, the $10,000 pussy over here, but the, no more as away. she faces jail. So as I say to my brother from another mother, as we close out 22 and season three of the what's real podcast, but also, and as always and in 2024 and season four, it'll be the same goofs are gifts so that's almost it for us here on season three guys uh thank you all for listening as we do here uh on the program each and every week thank you all for joining us and enjoying our weird world of podcasting uh of course uh if you guys have anything you'd like to add to the show you could do so through email at what's real pod at gmail.com again that is what's real pod at gmail.com of course you could listen to us on all your favorite podcasting platforms uh, for listening on iTunes, feel free to give us a five-star review. It helps the algorithm and gets more eyes and ears on the program each and every week. And also, you can listen on all your other favorite pod- podcasting platforms, such as Spotify, Podbean, Google Podcasts, and each and every week on churchillpictures.com. But before we get out of here, here are the J revving it up. So the J for the last time in season three, take it away. Revving it up like there's a Rolex in the J's butthole. Hey, yeah, the J's. $10,000 bung. But yeah, I mean, what can I say? I could go on and on and on and on about us. So I'll keep it short and sweet, but it's awesome to close out another year. Like you mentioned in our weird, crazy podcasting world, but it's always fun. And as I always say, Steve McQueen and it brother, the great escape from normal everyday life to go into our little creative craziness and breaking down the world of football and pro wrestling and crazy movies and Rolexes and vaginas can't beat it as i must shout out the typical shout outs uh, i love the show to the producer of producers cam thanks for another year season three you killed it we love you we appreciate it to you too hey ed it's an awesome ride i love it like i said i'll cut myself off much love season three out but you will still hear the j next week yeah, that's about it for us this week here on episode 144, the last episode of season three. Uh, don't forget to join us next week for our specials uh, for the next two weeks. We'll be back again on uh, January 6th for our season four premiere. That is episode 145. Uh, so, of course, we will be here the next couple of weeks. But uh, happy holidays, everybody. Happy New Year. Uh, we will see you after the new year, of course. Uh for our regular episodes but thanks for listening everybody thank you for cam uh for all the hard work you put in the show as we know here nobody beats the whiz and the jay still undefeated brother clang clang clang. another successful title defense we will be going into 2023 with the podcasting tag team championships of the universe and beyond so uh you know still undefeated man we're never gonna lose so Uh, But that is it for us this week, guys. Happy holidays. Happy New Year. Stay safe. Stay healthy. And we will see you here next week for our specials, but next year for our regular episodes right here on the What's Real Podcast. What's Real Podcast.